Rocking across the USA with David Essel in the box. Welcome aboard, gang. David Essel Alive, America's positive radio talk show. And that's what we do here, bringing you ideas and thoughts on how to go to the next level with your mind, body, spirit, your health, money, relationships, you name it, we've got it. 24 years now. 24 years on the air. You know, I, I've been saying 22, I've been saying 23, and then we got a text today from one of our listeners that, that, that stated in the text, we've been listening to you since 1990, and Nathan, thank God, did the math, <laughs> something above my capabilities, and came out with 24 years. We can't believe it's been that long. 24 years on the air. Proud to be part of the iHeart Clear Channel Premier Radio Network as we broadcast live out of Studio E in Los Angeles, California. Nathan and Tricia in the box with me here, making sure we stay on task. That's what they're doing best. 800-548-TALK, 1-800-548-TALK, as we have all of us have our David Essel Alive tinfoil caps on to deflect Merkel. Retrograde that we just had Jan Spiller talking to us about the good news, ladies and gentlemen. If you so believe in things like Mercury uh, retrograde, is July 1st it goes off for till I don't know when it'll come back to us, I'm sure. But if you have uh, cell phones that are going down, cars that are going down, relationships that are struggling, it just could be that our friend Mercury Mercury is going backwards, or so it seems. 1-800-548-TALK, 1-800-548-TALK. Text us during the show, 941-266-7676. I am so excited to get Noah Levine on the show here. Because I want to tell you, for a lot of reasons. One, I myself am in recovery. I've been working in the world, uh, helping other people to recover for over 20 years. And and here's a guy, and, and let me tell you the combination here. Tattoos, incarceration, addiction, punk music, and Buddhism. I don't have a lot of guests in the past 24 years that can put all those together, have a book, multiple books as a matter of fact, great following around the United States and outside of the United States, and have him on the show. It's an honor. It's awesome. Noah, welcome to the program. David, very happy to be here. Yeah, it's nice. To, when, when did your world of addiction begin, and how? Um, you know, in some ways, I think addiction began before addiction began in my childhood but about um some of my earliest memories are feeling suicidal Mm. and despondent and just really wanting out of life and that was at about five years old when i was seven i started smoking my parents pot and around that same time investigating the alcohol and the pills and you know by the time i was 10 i was drinking and using and um, starting to get in trouble. I started taking hallucinogens at about 10, 11 years old. Hmm. By the time I was a teenager, I was really addicted, strung out, smoking crack, shooting heroin, drinking alcoholically. It happened Hmm. fast and furiously. Yeah. Noah, where did you grow up? I grew up um, between Santa Cruz, California and uh, Taos, New Mexico. So, so, and you know, I, I, I'm going to throw this out there. There, there aren't a lot of five and seven year olds that are experimenting with drugs and alcohol that I can re- recall. Like, like, did you do this in isolation? Were you, or did you find little pals of yours to 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 do these drugs with, or did you hang out with older people, older kids? Tell us about that. Well, all of the above. Um, mm-hmm. I had older siblings, so those, those were some, uh, you know, partners in crime, older brothers and sisters. I um, At 10 years old, I met a friend in Little League who was also already getting high, and mm-hmm. uh, he became one of my real kind of running partners for a long time. Um, 
you know, so the combination of the older crew doing it by myself and finding those handful of, of kids that were also getting high. And and then the incarceration. Tell us about that. When did it happen? How did it happen? How long were you in jail for? I was in and out of the juvenile hall, you know, system from I think the first time I got arrested, I was about 11 or 12 years old. And, you know, that continued until I was an adult at 18. In the late 80s, like around 87, 88, um, I was arrested several times. I had three felony arrests, um, and this was during the period of, uh, you know, kind of being mostly on the streets and being addicted to crack and drinking alcoholically and injecting drugs. And mm-hmm. most of my crimes were around stealing, some violence, some assault and battery, robberies, um, breaking into cars. Just so a nice last- guy. What's that? <laughs> I said, just a nice guy. Yeah, just an average street <laughs> punk. And right. um, the the last incarceration, the longest one, was about nine months with about two and a half months in the jail and the lockdown and then uh, about six months in, um, six or seven months in a group home mm-hmm. uh, until I turned 18. I was looking at a long time in prison and the judge at the end there said, you know, we're not going to put you in prison we're going to just take you off of the streets and um you know and give you a chance uh, you know a fifth chance a, a sixth chance right. and uh when then you know when you turn 18 we're going to let you go and if you mess up again you can deal with the adult uh gotcha system. yep gotcha what what was your darkest hour your darkest moment that you can remember well there there were a lot i mean there was the turning point i mean i feel like the last, you know, six months, nine, you know, nine months, a year of my drug addiction was a sort of continual darkness of addiction and promising myself I would stop and not being able to stop. And, um, you know, but there was this moment, one of the last times I used drugs where, you know, I was drinking in the morning and I committed a crime and I got arrested and I was back in that same juvenile hall that I'd only been out of for a few weeks and with a seven-year suspended sentence. And um, and at that point, I, um, I decided I'm going to kill myself. And I started slamming my head against the concrete wall, trying to kind of break my skull open. And I, you know, ended up being restrained and put into a padded room. And it was, you know, that was really the bottom for me of starting to come to some clarity, some realization. I had blamed everybody else for my suffering my whole life. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you know, it was just really clear to me, uh, I'm a drug addict. I'm an alcoholic. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really in a lot of pain and it's nobody else's fault. You know, I'm a punk mm-hmm. rocker. So I have all kinds of political anarchist ideas about the society and system. And, um, but at that point, I just couldn't blame anybody else. I just had to take responsibility and say, mm-hmm. nobody's forcing me to do this. These are really bad decisions, really bad reaction to the pain in my life. And it was at that time that I, um, you know, had some hope, you know, saying, like, if I got myself in this situation, perhaps I can get myself out. And it's when I started uh, my process of recovery and I was introduced to meditation. And, uh, you know, from that depth of of darkness, as you put it, um, I started to seek the light. And this was, how old were you at this point? I was 17 years old, 1988. 
Wow, you you know you you're so fortunate, Noah. You started so young in your recovery. That's like quite remarkable. Yeah, most of the time I feel fortunate. I can remember when I was young and people would tell me I was fortunate. I would say like, really? I don't feel fortunate. I feel like you know I don't get to drink. I don't get to use. You know, right? Like, my life is ruined. You think I'm fortunate? Yeah. You know, now looking back, 26 years later. And having, yeah. uh, you know, most of my life in recovery and been meditating for all these years and, you know, having become a therapist and helping people, of course, now I can feel like, yeah, what a blessing yes. that I got sober so young and I was able to really, you know, go and get an education and begin to help people and really mm-hmm. dedicate my life in that direction. No, it's interesting you say that. I remember I was working with a kid, 21, and he he came into my office. His parents actually brought him in the office, and he was ready. He was a pain pill addict, a heroin addict, alcoholic, the whole nine yards, and so he was ready. I you know I always tell people if you're 10% ready, I can help you. Anything less than that, maybe not, but it's just 10%. 90% of you can still want to be an addict, but give me a 10%, and we'll we'll rock and roll. And I remember making a comment to him that this this move, his his recovery would save his relationship with a girl he really, really loved. It would it would allow him to stay on this path of making the money he's always wanted to make and even more than that. And and I looked at him one moment and I said, you know, this is so great at 21. And he looked at me and he goes, yeah, he goes, you know, you're in your 40s, dude. He said, you had 20 more years to party than I have. And I'm giving it up way too early. Yeah. <laughs> and that was that was his response. I can tell you now, eight years later, he's doing awesome, which is a, a really, really good thing for him. Noah, hang in there. We're going to go to a quick break. Noah Levine is who we're talking about author of the book refuge recovery a buddhist path to recovery from addiction we'll find out how he was introduced to buddhism he mentioned he was introduced to meditation at 17 we'll find out how he was introduced to buddhism how that corresponds the teachings of buddhism with recovery and how different is that from 12-step church-based recovery programs and more noah levine uh, the website RefugeRecovery.org. I'm David Essel, bringing you the top guests in the world to help you move your life to the very next level. This archive show, the one, the show you're listening to live right now, will be archived tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern, at our website, TalkDavid.com. If your friends missed it, they can listen to it then. Back in a second. Stay right there. struggle with money or why creating deep love is so challenging or why losing weight and keeping it off is such a struggle hi i'm iheart radio host and author david Essel. for 22 years we have helped thousands of people figure out the why to their life challenges and then create a plan that leads to lifelong success if you're ready contact me at talkdavid.com today our one-on-one sessions are so effective that you will absolutely create the life you desire and programs begin as low as 100 hours one-on-one with me david Essel, at talkdavid.com When I began working with David Essel, I was a single mom, completely disempowered and living in fear. Clients who have worked one-on-one with Master Life Coach David Essel are learning how to change their lives. And now, just one year later, I am the executive director of a nonprofit and really feeling my power in the world. Their success has come from focus and accountability with David, and the same can happen for you. Life coaching programs start at under $200, so visit TalkDavid.com. That's TalkDavid.com. 
Need toner? The Toner Kings sells all leading brands of toner cartridges to hundreds of businesses across the country. And Fortune 500 companies like Lockheed Martin, American Red Cross, and Excellus Blue Cross, just to name a few. Just head online to thetonerkings.com. Order toner and save up to 60% off dealer pricing with their 100% guarantee. You can try a new cost-effective toner solution with no risk. Visit thetonerkings.com. Mention you heard this ad on XM Radio and get an additional 20% off your first toner order. Did you know that in just three hours, your life can be radically changed? Hi, I'm iHeartRadio host and author David Essel. Every month, we offer a low-cost, three-hour seminar that you can join from anywhere in the USA for only $27. Our life-changing topics range from financial freedom to love and relationships, as well as our motivational seminar, Change Your Life Now. Visit TalkDavid.com. That's TalkDavid.com right now. And sign up for only $27. Office machines and toner are factors left in every business. But if you're emptying your bank account to buy toner, it's time for a better solution. Keep more of your money with the Toner Kings. Just head online to thetonerkings.com, order toner, and save up to 60% off dealer prices. You'll find all the leading toner brands to fit your office machines. And you can trust thetonerkings.com. They supply toner for organizations like the American Red Cross, Excellus Blue Cross Blue Shield, and Lockheed Martin. And they've been a leading toner supplier for over 18 years. Thetonerkings.com offers a 100% guarantee on every product. So there's no risk in trying a new toner solution. And there's no waiting either. Shipping is fast and always free with the Toner Kings. Stop emptying your wallet to restock your toner supply. Get free shipping and save up to 60% off typical toner prices. It's that simple. So why not shop where the Fortune 500 companies get their toner? Only at thetonerkings.com. Visit thetonerkings.com today. That's thetonerkings.com. Life is short, and it's getting shorter every day. Are you finished procrastinating over your biggest goals in life? Would you like to finally make a lot more money or lose that extra fat? It's time to stop talking about goals and actually achieve them. Master Life Coach David Essel can help you accomplish your biggest goals in life. Register today for any of David's life coaching plans at TalkDavid.com and get an extra session with David absolutely free. Visit TalkDavid.com today. Millions of women right now are needlessly suffering from dependencies to food, alcohol, smoking, and prescription medicines. These dependencies can age a woman's face by 10 years or more and destroy her chances of ever experiencing a deep, connective love relationship. Heal with Master Addiction Recovery Coach David Essel's one-on-one recovery program. Register today for any of David's life coaching plans at TalkDavid.com and get an extra session with David absolutely free. That's TalkDavid.com. You're tuned in to David Essel Live, America's positive radio show. Like us on Facebook and listen to hundreds of inspirational archive shows at talkdavid.com. Now here's your host, Mr. Motivation, David Essel. Rockin' the USA, 6 to 9 on Saturdays, 3 to 6 Pacific every Saturday, 1-800-548-TALK. 
800-548-TALK. Text us during the show, 941-266-7676. My guest, Noah Levine, author of Refuge Recovery, A Buddhist Path to Recovery from Addiction. So, Noah, 17, you have this awakening to get on this path, this path to recovery. You're introduced to meditation. Where did the whole Buddhist path come into play, and how were you introduced to that? Well, I had grown up with it. My father uh, was a meditator, a meditation teacher, um, Stephen Levine. He had, um, you know, been around Ram Dass and, you know, those mm-hmm. early American spiritualists. Sure. And, um, you know, so I grew up around it and had dutifully rejected it as uh, hippie malarkey. But uh, <laughs> at that point... I was suffering enough to be open-minded to try anything. And my father taught me a simple Buddhist mindfulness meditation technique. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I went back to, uh, over the telephone, and I went back to my cell, and I started paying attention to my breath, mm-hmm. and realized pretty quickly, um, for the first time in my life, I saw directly that I could ignore my mind that even though my mind was filled with fear of the future and regret and shame and guilt around the past, I could ignore that suffering by paying attention to my breath. And it was such a relief to see that I didn't have to live in the hell realm that my mind would create for me. Even though the physical realm wasn't all that comfortable. I was in a jail cell. I was detoxing. You know, it wasn't that fun. But even Mm -hmm. that was better than what my mind was doing. Mm. So the from there, from there, I, yeah. I got I got interested, and um, you know, the first couple of years, I also started doing twelve steps. Mm-hmm. And the first couple of years, I didn't really do the twelve steps, and I didn't, you know, I was really half-assed about meditating. But a couple of years in, I think in the beginning, I still thought that maybe if I got sober, if I got the right material stuff. Uh, if I had the right relate, you know, the car, the motorcycle, the girlfriend, you know, the yes. record collection, the simple stuff that a teenager wants. Mm-hmm. And I got it all in a couple of years, and I was still miserable. Mm-hmm. I had the beautiful girlfriend and the um, the lowrider and the vintage European motorcycle, all the stuff that I thought I needed to be happy, and none of it worked. And the only thing that had ever worked for me really was meditation. So it was at that point that I started attending meditation retreats with one of my teachers, Jack Cornfield. Sure. And um, and that's that's where my real Buddhist practice mm. began and deepened. But even then, I was still a little curious. I was convinced that I needed a spiritual solution, and the twelve steps were talking about God and a higher power, and Buddhism was talking about, you know, mindfulness and compassion and karma. And I spent a couple of years really searching. And I thought, well, I better read the Bible, I better read the Quran, I better I better do some research here. You know, what path is correct for me? Where am I going to find my connection? And in all of the study and investigation, even in Buddhism, it's like, well, what kind of Buddhist? Tibetan right. Buddhist, Zen Buddhist, uh, you know, Theravadan Buddhist. So I had I really I wanted to do some real research. And I did, even though my core practice was this mindfulness meditation um, from the Theravadan Buddhist tradition. Um, I, did, I did a couple of years of investigation. I chanted Hare Krishna. I did Sufi dancing, you know. Sure, I went yeah. To, you know, tons of 12-step meetings. I, I really checked it out. 
And I landed in Theravadan Buddhism as what made most sense to me. And, uh, you know, and, and that was what Jack was teaching and, um, and my father had been involved in. You know, my father was one of those, is one of those, uh, you know, guys from the 60s that's into Eastern philosophy, you know, and he has his Hindu guru and his Buddhist meditation practice and, you know, probably consider himself a shaman or a mystic more than a Buddhist. Right. But for me, it was Buddhism that really resonated most mm-hmm. deeply, the core teachings and, you know, direct path to awakening. Do you believe that you have recovered 100% so you don't consider yourself uh, uh, an alcoholic addict in recovery? Do you believe that people can recover 100% or do you believe that there is um, a part, as 12-step teaches, that once an addict, always an addict? Where do you stand there? Well, I think it's it's a great question and I think that the answer depends on our definition of recovery. What does it mean to recover, to be fully recovered? Um, what are we recovering? I remember when I, you know, got more serious about recovery, I was, I was dumbfounded. Recover what? You know, because mm. just the word itself says, like, you're, it feels to me like it means that you're getting back something that you lost. Right. So sometimes the alcoholic, you know, thinks like, well, I lost the ability to control my drinking. Can I recover the ability to control my drinking right. or my drug right. use? And I think that that's where the 12 steps uh, are quite clear of, like, you you know, most addicts never regain the ability to control their use. Mm -hmm. And that that's not actually the definition of recovery. And that it's much more about recovering sanity. Right on. Um, And in my experience, and maybe more in the, the Buddhist language, I feel like what we're trying to recover is a, a, a goodness within us. A, a wise heart, a compassionate heart, a loving heart, um, a forgiving um, ability to forgive. I have recovered kindness from within myself and compassion and generosity and forgiveness. A lot of those qualities have been uncovered in my practice, but I wouldn't say I'm done with that work, so I wouldn't say fully recovered. To me, fully recovered means enlightened, that you've fully recovered your Buddha nature, that you've fully recovered, you know, wisdom that you are able to sustain all of the time. I've seen so much progress in my practice over the last, you know, couple decades, 26 years, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not perfection. So to me, full recovery, I think, means perfection. Sometimes the 12-step programs want to say, like, we become normal, like normal people, a worker among worker, a men amongst men, those kind of things. Right. Uh, To me, this reeks of kind of sometimes what psychology says. Um, Freud was famous for saying uh, the best psychology can do is to transform neurotic suffering into ordinary suffering. (laughs) Right. Noah, hold that thought right there. We have to go to a quick break. We're going to come back with Noah Levine, author of the book Refuge Recovery, A Buddhist Path to Recovery from Addiction. Remember, if you have friends that are in the world of recovery, maybe they're struggling right now, or maybe you're listening to this struggling, this interview will be archived in just a little bit at talkdavid.com. No need to miss it. I'm David Essel. Stay right there. 
You're tuned in to David Essel Alive, America's positive radio show. Like us on Facebook and listen to hundreds of inspirational archive shows at talkdavid.com. Now here's your host, Mr. Motivation, David Essel. Every Saturday, 6 to 9 Eastern, 3 to 6 Pacific, across these great United States, celebrating 24 years on the air, 1-800-548-TALK. Text 941-266-7676. My guest, Noah Levine, the name of the book, Refuge Recovery, A Buddhist Path to Recovery from Addiction. Noah, in a nutshell, tell us the, the major differences in philosophy between the Buddhist approach to recovery from addiction and 12-step. Well, Buddhism is a non-theistic practice. So um, original, early Buddhism, it doesn't ask for um, blind faith or belief in um, in any kind of higher power. It just lays out the practices that will lead to healing and to recovery, to awakening. And so this is the core difference, is that the 12 mm. steps, um, core philosophy is that human beings can't recover without uh, a divine intervention, without a higher power's grace. And Buddhism um, actually believes in the human ability to fully awaken based on one's own efforts. Dealing with cravings, the Buddhist approach of dealing with cravings, which is all part of the um, Four Noble Truths, how, how would you help someone as an addict through Buddhism to deal with the cravings for the nicotine, the sugar, the alcohol, the sex, the, the spending, the buying, etc.? Right. Well, there's, there's many different um, ways that meditation and, and Buddhist practice uh, is going to help. Mindfulness is probably the most popular, the most accessible, it's the place to start. Mindfulness is present time awareness. It's bringing awareness into the body in the present time. As we do that, paying attention to the breath, the body, to the feeling tones, to the pleasant mm -hmm. or unpleasant sensations that arise in the body, heart and mind, uh, we begin to see the impermanent nature. We see how we sit still and we get uncomfortable, and that discomfort changes. It's impermanent. We sit there and we see the cravings to move or to satisfy the craving, or you know, to to become more comfortable. Um, the cravings arise, and in meditation, you gain a relationship with craving. You practice renunciation, right? Not satisfying the craving. The more right. you can do that in mindfulness meditation, the more you're going to gain a wise relationship to craving and be able to maintain abstinence because you'll see it as just a sensation and just a thought and feeling right and say right. i know where this leads right i love it yeah i love it the it, it, someone comes in and is working with you and they've been an alcoholic or an addict or a food addict or any of the substances in the world that could be potentially addictive 10, 15, 20 years, and you say to them, well, come on and follow this path. And they say, well, how long will it take? And you say to them? The rest of your life. Really, you know, that this, yeah. is, a, this is a practice that we're taking on uh, about how we're going to live. And, you know, it's one moment at a time. And, you know... Uh, I, you know, I hate to give people too many timelines or too many sort of promises of like, well, within a year you'll feel all better. Um, the practice is a new way of life. And it means, you know, developing mindfulness, developing compassion and forgiveness, um, developing generosity and kindness. 
towards ourselves and others. And the timeline for that's different for each person. You know, from a Buddhist perspective, right. it depends on your karma. It depends on your mm-hmm. conditionings. I think psychologically, it depends on the underlying wounds and traumas. Some people yeah. recover fairly quickly. Some people, it takes decades. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it really depends on each person. What is for sure is that actually your life is going to improve pretty quickly, and abstinence is going to be the first thing to establish. Right. And when, right. We, and when we establish abstinence, also we have to learn to be uncomfortable. And part mm-hmm. of what we're addicted to is not just the substances, but we're addicted to avoiding pain. Mm-hmm. And part of staying clean is going to be learning to be uncomfortable and learning to mate that discomfort or pain with kindness and compassion, with forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Understanding that pain is unavoidable, but pain does not have to equal suffering. Suffering right is when we meet the pain with hatred. Yeah. Now, this is pretty <laughs> radical. I mean, the Buddha at one point said, my teachings go against the stream. They go mm-hmm. against the, the normal human uh, stream of craving pleasure and aversion to pain. And I'm asking people to renounce their addiction to pleasure and to develop compassion to pain. And that this is something that is absolutely possible by anybody who's willing to be disciplined about uh, this kind of transformation, but that it goes against human nature. Human nature right. is the quick fix. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I have a friend that teaches a program of recovery called Rational Recovery. Yep. And, you know, his response to people when they come in and they've been working with them for a week or a month or whatever and say, you know, oh, my gosh, when am I going to be able to, you know, to be able to see this this full breadth of recovery where I'll never drink again. And then the very next thing out of their mouth is, do you think I'll ever be able to drink again? And his answer is always the same. He said, I'll tell you what, let's do this. Let's make this deal. Come back with that question in 200 lifetimes from now and we'll work on it. Yeah. <laughs> and and Noah, I love it. You know, I love it. It's like, let's get out of the end result. Let's get into the, the present moment as you're talking about. Yeah. Let's use the techniques that we have available today, and you're going to feel so much better. Um, is there effort and discipline? And oh, of course there is. But I just I loved his response. It's so perfect. And 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 I want to thank you so much for the time today on the air, but also for the way that you're approaching it, Noah. Very understandable. Um, you're very easy to talk to. Your history is perfect to be bringing this message. And I want to give out again the name of the the book. Refuge Recovery, A Buddhist Path to Recovery from Addiction, the website, refugerecovery.org, refugerecovery.org. Noah, keep spreading the powerful message. I love it. Will do. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Noah Levine, the name of the book, Refuge Recovery, A Buddhist Path to Recovery from Addiction. And remember, in 20 minutes from now, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, this interview will be archived at our website, talkdavid.com, with all the other archives, thousands of interviews up there. If your friends and family miss this live interview and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, this is a path of recovery that we haven't talked about, we haven't heard, we haven't explored, listen to the interview. Get the book, Refuge Recovery and get on the path of recovery. It's never too late. It's always perfect timing. 1-800-548-TALK. 1-800-548-TALK. Text us. I'm going to be getting to a ton of your texts right after this short break. I'll be getting to as many as we can, 
bringing you information to take your life to the next level. And there is a slew of people. Um, one of them that just came in was, I saw on Facebook, you don't believe time heals everything. Please explain. We'll get to that. Uh, the addicted brain. Could you talk to this about resentments? Yes, we'll get to that. I had an affair with my boyfriend two years ago, but he still brings it up when we argue. When will this end? We'll get to that as well. So good to hear from you. Our text number, 941-266-7676. Phone, 1-800-548-TALK. Great to have you with us. I'm David Essel. Stay right there. I spent most of the next days looking at the x-rays, talking about the options, and talking about are you stuck in life, just not happy with your body, income, or love life? I'm David Essel, XM radio host and author of the new free book, The Power of Focus, at talkdavid.com. We're giving away one million copies of The Power of Focus, and it's free at talkdavid.com. You deserve your desires. Get your free book, The Power of Focus, today at talkdavid.com. For 21 years, positive talk radio equals David Essel alive. Listen on XM 168 every Saturday, 6 to 9 Eastern, 3 to 6. Pacific. Creating a daily focus on your spiritual path ultimately brings us to peace of mind, an amazing gift we get to give ourselves every day. I'm David Essel, author and master life coach. If you desire that inner peace, contact me now at talkdavid.com. Let's work together to create a plan to help you get the peace you deserve. If you're serious about life change, we want to work with you. Contact me at talkdavid.com. That's talkdavid.com. It's time for change, and I can help you get there at talkdavid.com. Is your relationship operating at its highest potential, or is it faltering and you see yourselves drifting farther and farther apart? Or are you single right now, trying to figure out what went wrong in the past so you can finally find and keep deep love? Let Master Life Coach David Essel help you resurrect or save your current relationship, or help prepare you to find the love you desire today. Visit TalkDavid.com to read the testimonials about David's work. Love is the answer. Let today be the day. Visit TalkDavid.com. Do you often feel like you've hit a dead end in life? Like no matter what you do, the challenges just keep coming back over and over again? Well, maybe it's time you read the inspirational book, Rockstar, Finding God's Purpose for Your Life. Rockstar, David Essel's sixth top-selling book, is a powerful parable that will give you the inspirational tools and strength needed to finally bring your life to a whole new level. Order Rockstar by David Essel for only $7.95 at Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com today. The powerful book, offering a positive lift in our ever-challenging world. What do you really want out of life? What would make you really happy? I'm David Essel, author of the new free book, The Power of Focus, yours at talkdavid.com. We're giving away one million copies of The Power of Focus free at talkdavid.com. You deserve your desires. Get your free book, The Power of Focus, today at talkdavid.com. For 21 years, positive talk radio equals David Essel alive. Listen on XM 168 every Saturday, 6 to 9 Eastern, 3 to 6 Pacific. You're tuned in to David Essel Alive, America's positive radio show. Like us on Facebook and listen to hundreds of inspirational archive shows at talkdavid.com. 
Now here's your host, Mr. Motivation, David Essel. I'm talking to you about the key concepts of life, moving you to the next level financially in regards to your sobriety, relationships, love, career, whatever is on your mind. We're going to take you to that very next level. I saw on Facebook, here's our text coming in. I saw on Facebook, you do not believe time heals everything. Please explain. I don't think time heals anything, quite frankly. It's not just that it doesn't heal everything. It doesn't heal anything. Time by itself is inert. It does not care if you're happy, if you're resentful. It doesn't care if someone has hurt you. It doesn't. It does not care. So when we work in our in our work that we do that we've done for almost thirty years now, and we have people that are resentful against a former lover that was twenty, thirty years ago, uh, a former father, mother, mother-in-law, stepfather, whatever it might be, stepmother, uh, and it, and the event happened ten, fifteen, twenty-five years ago. Time doesn't heal, so they can still be angry when the person's name comes up. They can still be disgusted because of whatever happened, and it doesn't have to be fair. Life isn't fair, but time by itself does not heal a darn thing. So if you want to heal and let go of resentment for your own good, more so than anyone else's good, just for your own good, so you have peace of mind when that person's name comes up or a memory comes up or you see them, for God's sake. We have to actually do the physical work that we do in the world of counseling, coaching, mentoring, etc. If you need information on this, email me at talkdavid.com. I'd love to work with you. Our work is 100% guaranteed, money-back guaranteed, so there's never a risk. And by the way, we've never returned anyone's money because they were unhappy with the work. You do the work, you'll get the result. And But time does not heal. Trust me. When people say that, it drives me nuts. Well, just give it time. You'll feel better. Nonsense. Give it time and work your butt off and you'll feel better. <laughs> 1-800-548-TALK. 1-800-548-TALK. Text us at 941-266-7676. Um, I had an affair with my boyfriend two years ago, but he still brings it up when we argue. Uh, when will this end? You know what? It will end if he decides it will end. That's it, number one. Number two, it will end when you do the action steps necessary and not just say it. In other words, some people will say, you know, I'm really sorry that happened, and then they'll want to go right on with their life. Both men and women do this. Like, they won't actually get into the apology with empathy, sympathy, compassion, and follow through with some action steps that proves that they're really, really apologetic for what happened. Uh, They won't. And so they'll just go, you know, I've told you 20 times that I'm sorry for the affair, but they won't show the person with any kind of physical action steps that they're really apologetic for the affair. So their partner doesn't buy it. And then when you get into arguments, it comes up because in the subconscious they're feeling, you know what, he or she has not really showed me any type of true sorrow or apology for the affair. So we hold it at the subconscious level. So number one, the first thing is I'd say, do you need to do anything more action step wise, not word wise to prove that you're really serious of the, of the affair, even though it was two years ago, could you do more? Number one, number two, is that he's going to let it go when he's ready to let it go. If have you guys worked with any professionals and if you haven't, you gotta, We are not capable. 90% of people that have had affairs are not capable. The couple themselves are not capable of overcoming them by themselves. Why do I say that? Because you got yourselves into it by doing your very best work. Make sense? So to get out of it, you're going to have to get help. 1-800-548-TALK. Text us, 941-266-7676. It's just not going to happen by ourselves. No matter how intelligent we might think we are, probably not. Um... 
listening to the show tonight, it brought up a thought about my relationship, current relationship, that I need to change. I love a ton of physical touch and public displays of affection. My girlfriend of six months wants none of it. In public, she'll tell me to stop when I hug her or kiss her. What do I do? Hmm. Well, your beliefs and her beliefs about affection are on different trains going in opposite directions. So number one, can you surrender your needs for public displays of affection because the relationship is worth that? Can you or can you not? Can you put your need and desire for affection on the back burner? And do you get enough at home? So when you guys are in private, do you get enough affection? And if that's true, then you may want to surrender your need for affection outside of the home and just say, you know what, that's her comfort zone. She's not going to go past it. But when we're alone, when we're by ourselves, I feel my emotional, physical needs, sensual needs, sexual needs are being met. So I'm going to take a big breath and let go of my desire in public because I'm getting what I really, truly need in home. So that would be one answer. The second answer is, you know, I really need someone who's affectionate outside of the bedroom. So neither of you are right and neither of you are wrong is what I'm saying. But you've got to get big enough to look past that. And if you don't want to get big enough, and let's say that at home, well, you know what, our relationship at home is okay, but the intimacy isn't what I want and and the, the, the affection that I want in the home isn't there, then you could benefit from work. Text me or email me at talkdavid.com. I work with couples in this arena, and if you need that kind of help, we could see if there's a way to negotiate so both needs are getting met. Maybe she could stretch herself and you could stretch yourself. Maybe she could stretch herself into a little bit more of affection, and maybe you could stretch yourself into needing less. Could very well happen. Or at the worst that will happen by working with someone is that you'll find out, wow, there's lots of other things that we have in common, but this is a deal killer for me. I really need a lot or desire a lot or, or crave a lot. And some of these cravings and desires can become that addiction that we were just talking to Noah about. But they can also just be who you are. And there wouldn't be anything wrong with saying, wow. You know, we have a great relationship in these areas, but these areas it's not working in, and I'm going to move along. There's nothing wrong with that. The number one mistake we make when we stay in relationships where our needs aren't getting met, though, is that we build resentments, and in the resentment, everyone loses. And then we stay together, and we have resentments, and everyone loses. And then we stay together a little longer, and we have resentments, and you fill in the blank. Everyone loses. Um. My 18-year-old son keeps talking about how everything in the world stinks. Colleges are stupid. No one is as smart as him, and he wants to create his own government. Interesting. He has huge fits of rage with us. We're not sure what to do. Well, this is going to be above and beyond your capability of dealing with it, sounds like. And it does, you don't say in this very long text anything about him having help. As a matter of fact, you said that he won't go to help, get help. But I really believe that you're going to have to find some way to bring this into a professional. Uh, if he's 18, is he living with you? You may start putting parameters on, you know, if you're going to live with us and you're going to go into these rages, then you're going to have to get professional help. And if you don't want professional help, we're going to have to help you move out of the house and you're going to have to get on your own. 
this can turn into some really serious issues if you don't take care of it, don't play with this type of attitude, and I would absolutely put consequences with the boundaries. So if you're going to stay in the house and you think that all colleges are stupid and all people are stupid and government is stupid, then you're going to have to get help. And if you don't want help, then you're going to have to live elsewhere. Move in with a friend, go live on the street, do what you need to do. But I don't think as parents that you can put yourself in that situation of being with someone who is so anti-authority and just allow it to go. You know, usually people that have very strong strands of anti-authority, it doesn't get better It get, on its own. It gets worse on its own. So it, it, obviously psychological help is needed. Please do that. 1-800-548-TALK. Um, what is the key to ongoing personal motivation? Have you ever thought about that, David? Do you have the answer? Well, I can give you two keys to ongoing motivation. One is self-accountability. So what we do is we look around at our lives and we say, holy cow, this isn't working and it's my responsibility to change it. So the body isn't what I have. It's not genetics. It's me. The income isn't what I want. It's not the government. It's not the market. It's not that. It's me. My relationship isn't at the level I'd like. It's not their fault. It's mine. And I mean this sincerely. The number one key to ongoing personal motivation is self-responsibility. One of the quickest ways to decrease ongoing motivation is blame, projection. So when you say that I'm not happy because of my partner, I don't have the money I want because of oh, because Obama's in the White House, and the reason I'm overweight is my parents and genetics, or the reason I have this addiction is genetics is all a bunch of crap. As soon as you take responsibility for where you are right now, every little morsel of it, you will start to see what motivation looks like. Number one. Number two, and I say this all the time, ongoing personal motivation, get rid of watching television shows, reality shows, political shows, get out of listening to political radio, reality radio, get out of the crap of life. Whatever goes in comes out, right? Whatever goes in comes out. So whatever goes in your mind, what you watch, what you listen to, what you read is going to come out identically. So you are in charge of your life. Take that personal responsibility and watch your life change. Get uncomfortable. We say it all the time. Take those steps into the uncomfortable. Whatever scares you, rocks your world, go do it and you'll improve. Remember, between now and the next seven days, be strong. Be pure, be powerful, be positive. Do life the way it's meant to do it, and that is be responsible. Rock your world, man. And in the next seven days, I want you to do that. When you come back next Saturday, we're going to have multiple more guests to take your life to the next level. And every show is archived at TalkDavid.com. Fill your week with these interviews. I'm David Essel. Until then.